now we're in a whole different ballgame. Uh, the home pages of Roku looking very different to Samsung, which will look different again to, to Amazon. Welcome to the Ad Tech Heroes podcast. Each episode features an interview with today's leaders in advertising technology. If you're working in ad tech and always wanted to sit down and pick the brains of today's experts, then this show is for you. Subscribe and join us each week as we meet a new ad tech hero. Hello and welcome to the Ad Tech Heroes podcast. In today's episode, we're going to talk about the changing nature of television trading, and I'm delighted to be joined by Mike Shaw. Mike is the Director of International Sales at Roku and has previously worked at DataZoo and Comscore, where he has been the VP of International and VP of Sales, respectively. Hi, Mike. How's it going? Good. Thanks, Al. Thanks for having me. I was going to say, we, we were having our podcast virtually today on the hottest day of the of the year of uh, of uh, since t- statistics began, right? Um, I think that's, it's about 40 degrees right. where it's I am. 40, 40.2, apparently. It's just uh, hit outside Heathrow. I was selfishly hoping that the record that they got to earlier in the day, uh, which was in Charlwood uh, in Surrey, was going to stand because that's just down the road from me. But Heathrow's got it and it, it's still going north. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how everybody's commutes are going to work to, uh, later today. I know all the all the trains were cancelled for me to 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 go in from Hertfordshire straight into London. So yeah, I, I thought it makes sense to just set up base with a fan working from home. If, if only I had AC. <laughs> Brilliant. So thanks, Mike. Thank thank you today for joining us on our podcast episode. Super excited to talk to you about all things uh, TV related. Um, but yeah, to to begin with, wanted to uh, understand a little bit more about your career and uh, and what has got you to where we are today. I'm very old now, so it's been quite a long road to get here. It actually uh, started when I was back at university. I did my placement year at Hewlett Packard out in uh, Bracknell and was really focused on uh, a new range of computers, the 9000 series that HP had launched, to power uh, essentially this new generation of, of computing, uh, all focused on the internet, because late 90s, the internet was really still a, an emerging media that all, all of the B2C applications uh, for it really didn't exist. The UIs were very, very rudimentary. There aren't many people who'll be listening to this who remember what Web 1 looked like, but it, it wasn't great. So when I left university, uh, I went to uh, a company, Fletcher Research, which were really uh, focused on trying to understand what the new and emerging business models would be. And within uh, three months of that, uh, they were actually acquired by Forrester Research, uh, who are a major US technology analyst firm. And so for the next five or six years, I was really grounded in the media and uh, technology space within Forrester, uh, looking specifically at the developing internet business models across advertising, across retail, uh, some of the B2B applications. And one of the things specifically within the media field that really interested me was around the new forms of trading uh, that were evolving, uh, how ad networks were growing up, and how when you look at the way that TV and and more traditional media had been measured, the internet was kind of a wild west uh, at this point. And and that led me to to move to Comscore, um, where uh, with a small break in the middle, uh, I spent the next 11 years really focused around the development of standards for measurement to allow buy and sell side to agree on the value that all of these new internet advertising, a kind of media placements, etc., uh, we're going to um, we're going to deliver. Uh, from there, the the next step for me was then to go into the trading side itself, uh, and that's where I moved to to DataZoo, uh, which at the time was an independent uh, ad tech player, uh, demand side platform, and the really big focus for DataZoo was around transparency. 
So again, within trading, there's typically lots of vested interests, uh, whereas DataZoo was was head and shoulders above many of the other DSPs out there in terms of being completely transparent for the buy side around all of the fees uh, that were involved in trading, what those fees went towards, uh, and their ability to manage key issues at the time with things like the fraud-free guarantee, etc. So uh, again, really uh, a big step forward in terms of the way that programmatic trading uh, was evolving. And because of its really big focus on connected television, uh, DataZoo was then acquired by Roku in uh, November 2019, uh, and that sees me where I am now. Amazing. And is it safe to say then you have been in and around the data side and the measurement side from the beginning, and is that something that is a passion point for you? It, it is. Um, I would caveat the beginning in that that uh, actually the the kind of the origins of media measurement even predate me, uh, which is which is saying something. But they um, lots of the lessons, the fundamentals of media measurement and bringing those into the more advanced TV ecosystem and even before that programmatic ecosystem is a uh, that's a, a big passion point for me because I think there's there's so much this industry still has to learn and grow up on, which actually if we look back at traditional broadcast television, they got right. Uh, we know. For example, that that uh, measurement instruments like the bar panel, five and a half thousand people in the UK, um, gets you to a gold standard for the biggest channels and programming events in a small number of channel world in broadcast television. It doesn't work in exactly the same way for a multi-platform, very fragmented content ecosystem. Yet some of the principles that are embedded in that are still required in the new world of measurement. And so I think blending the opportunities that the new world of technology and data brings us alongside that discipline of the person-centric view of of understanding individual behavior and representative panels uh, is a really big opportunity for uh, for television and measurement in general. Definitely. And then your current role now at Roku, um, maybe some people on uh, in our audience don't know who Roku are. If you could quickly explain uh, what they do, that'd be amazing. Certainly. Yeah. So for those people who don't know uh, Roku, we are a streaming TV platform. Uh, We're essentially an operating system upon which streaming television apps, whether they be the new generation, the Rakutens and Plutos, whether they be the big SVOD services like Netflix or Prime, or whether they be the public service broadcasters, which in the UK you'd have grown up with, like the BBC and ITV. Roku is one of the platforms upon which they build those applications to allow uh, viewers to watch streamed content on their TV. Now, increasingly, Roku is actually the operating system that powers the TV itself. But you also have the ability to simply plug in a a Roku device or player uh, into the back of the TV and and make older TVs smart. For example, the ability for them to to take content over the internet and and deliver it onto the screen. Uh, Roku's evolution started in the States. Uh, We're a US-based company, but our international expansion uh, has taken in the UK. And also we're now the number one streaming platform in Canada, in Mexico. So we are expanding on a global basis and I'm in charge of all of our ad revenue uh, outside of the United States. So it's not necessarily clicking a button that says Roku on your remote control or clicking the Roku app. It's in the background, Roku's working in terms of uh, giving the opportunity for the user to see a streaming platform. Is that correct to say? Exactly that, Dal. So our first uh, partners as we expand into any given market. It's not about building our own content channels and things. 
actually the first partnerships that we do are with the uh, with the broadcasters, with the SVODs, with all of those services that a viewer in Canada, in the UK, in Mexico would expect to see on the platform. And, uh, and we partner uh, in order to deliver great user experiences across a mix of content types, whether that's a subscription uh, services people are paying for. Uh, but increasingly what we see is the ad supported, the AVOD, advertising video on demand landscape, really taking off because one of the biggest growth areas within streaming is the idea of getting free. Um, I think right now, if you were looking at the news in the UK, you'd have seen one and a half million people, according to Kantar, uh, cut a subscription in the first quarter of this year. The numbers just come out uh, earlier this week for the second quarter, and it showed a slight uptick in that, so 1.6 million. Um, and we have to acknowledge we're in a, a difficult economic time when household budgets are under a lot of stress. And I think in the same way that we saw COVID as a massive catalyst for streaming uh, hours overall, we're going to see the current economic issues as a big catalyst for people uh, increasing the share of total viewing that is actually ad supported rather than necessarily streamed, uh, rather than subscription, sorry. Does Roku then have a diversified revenue or a model in terms of are you bringing revenue in through different channels? It'd be great to understand kind of the different areas in, in how uh, Roku operate and bring in revenue. Certainly. So Roku does have a diversified uh, model. Part of that is around advertising. Um, we do have the Roku channel in a number of markets, which is our own free AVOD service made up of licensed and original content. Um, plus what we term fair value exchange with the partners, the ad supported partners that we distribute uh, on the platform, whether that be in the form of revenue share or inventory splits, uh, etc. We also have a revenue model uh, based around Roku Pay. So in order to uh, enable people to very quickly be able to uh, sign up to subscription services, there's a payment platform embedded within uh, the Roku operating system, which delivers a fantastic user experience, doesn't take you out of content environments whilst allowing you to subscribe and unsubscribe to all of the apps that, that you as a household want to do. And then from a, uh, from a revenue perspective, we also uh, sell devices, whether that be uh, the Roku sticks and players or the partnerships we have with TV companies. Uh, and increasingly, we believe the world will move to a, a licensed operating system model. There will be very few TV companies that maintain their own operating system. Uh, and our goal is to win the licensed operating system uh, TV model. And there are economics involved in that with the TV manufacturers and the entire value chain across retail, etc., um, that we participate in. As we said, for, for Roku, the the amount of money that Roku brings in as an organization has switched. Uh, if you looked at it five years ago, it was relatively balanced, but skewed in favor, <coughs> excuse me, skewed in favor of the players side of the business. Mm -hmm. And increasingly, Roku is a, an advertising uh, funded organization um, with the, the majority of our revenue now coming on the, the platform side through those uh, Roku pay and Roku advertising streams. Amazing. And, and just on that then, so the advertising arm of the, the business um, is, is what you look after, right? So um, like you mentioned, outside of, uh, outside of the US. It, yeah, it'd be great to understand what type of advertising do Roku offer? Is it video? Is it display? Uh, yeah, it'd be good to get an understanding of how that would physically look for the, for the user. Absolutely. So uh, from, a, from a starting point, one of the, the core uh, formats we've been delivering from the start is video, whether that's 30 seconds, 15 seconds, uh, typically mid-roll video that runs 
either in the Roku channel or in any of the ad-supported partner channels that we host on the platform. That's really the starting point. And so very similar to a type of TV experience, the biggest difference for a viewer would be that our ad load is typically something in the region of half what they would expect to see on linear television. So it's a a different and arguably better viewing experience in terms of just the way that advertising works. And secondly, uh, which we may come on to, uh, obviously there's lots of different things you could do with that advertising that you can't do with linear in terms of the targeting of that, the delivery of it, the sequencing of uh, different ads, etc. But but video is the starting point. The next piece is really around display. And that, uh, especially when you think about things like the the homepage, the real estate that is the Roku homepage, uh, that allows for a lot of Uh, a lot of value to be gained in the form of content discovery, both for the streamers, but also for services launching new content. So a good example, if you cast your mind back to uh, to late 2019, uh, Disney Plus launching in the UK, the Mandalorian is the the hero unit. Uh, If you turned your Roku unit on on launch day, you'd have seen the homepage with all of your usual apps on there, but the background was completely taken over by a scene from The Mandalorian uh, and the Mandalorian character over on the right-hand side and the ability to click in and subscribe to Disney Plus direct from that and start watching The Mandalorian direct from that homepage. So the, the discovery that's facilitated for consumers and the ability to promote content for, uh, for broadcasters uh, is huge through those display units. And then the last point I'd say is there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of work going on into new ad formats. Uh, so anybody in Cannes recently would have had the opportunity to come and uh, watch a presentation by Roku and the CMO at Walmart. And it was all about shoppable commerce and how Walmart have put a chunk of their catalogue uh, or embedded a, a chunk of their catalogue into uh, the, uh, the or the ability to work with the Roku operating system to really create a shoppable environment uh, direct from the TV screen that is uh, that, that allows the, the consumer to spend very little time away from uh, content. They don't have to go to different sites to enter payment uh, details, etc. And they can shop a huge amount of the Walmart range directly from their TV, payment happening on the platform, and then get back to the content they're looking at as well. And so uh, this, along with a, a myriad of other formats, are the types of things that we believe advanced television can really bring over and above simply those great formats that have always helped brands uh, kind of build brand equity and and brand awareness with consumers over years. This can uh, enhance TV's ability to just do more in the advertising stack than build brands. Yeah, the Walmart example is a great one. I was reading something a few weeks back and I did see the the article about in-ad purchasing and how Walmart partnered up with with Roku for that do you think that's yes do you think do you do you feel like that's the future of future of advertising is is making uh is making those in those purchases straight away in in into inside the advertising or do you think it's only for specific environments like tv or mobile um you won't be able to always do it i think i think we always need to remember the consumer state for why they're doing what they're doing and there are some consumer states in viewing. And actually, if uh, if anybody's interested, there was a great paper a few years ago back uh, looking at TV need states uh, from Thinkbox in the UK that you can access on their site. There are, there are some television states where shoppable commerce simply isn't going to be on people's radars. They're in a very lean back, just want content to wash over them type of state. They're not actively seeking things out. 
there are other need states where people actively are uh, seeking things out. And um, often that has happened on a PC or mobile screen, but increasingly it can now happen on television, especially with the breadth of content players that platforms like Roku are able to facilitate. And so I think it won't always be there. To your point, there's going to be there's going to be some times where the advertising experiences to a viewer, uh, they'll see maybe display, they'll see the 30 second video formats, but that's it. And, th- and nothing else would have made sense for any advertisers in that consumer journey uh, or that consumer viewing session. But there'll be others where actually there is a need for something. You can see in the search data, in the viewing behavior of the consumers, that they are looking for something, they're seeking some things out, they're very interested in a specific content set. And that does lend opportunities now to advertisers to utilize that data and those new opportunities on the advanced TVOS to be able to uh, capture those purchases in a way that typically they wouldn't have done before if they'd simply been relying on trying to try that or trying to tie that viewing back to to then somebody subsequently searching on a device or or going into a store you can intercept and uh, and kind of bring forward that journey your own way uh, through a screen that you previously weren't able to use definitely and taking a step back so obviously your experience in the in the TV space in the data space how how have things changed so how how has television trading changed over the years um, and, and is it adjusting to the consumer change as well? It'd be great to understand that in a bit more detail. Certainly. It, it's a really interesting discussion because I think if you, if you, you don't have to go back all that far to when TV traders would simply work with within the confines often of trading agreements with a very small number of TV sales houses who had the, uh, the aggregate sum of all of the viewing that they represented was almost all meaningful viewing in any given market. So TV trading, there was was a huge amount of discipline that went into the planning of it and the negotiations and all of the negotiation points about first in break, last in break, uh, all of those types of uh, variables that were traded. But it it happened with a very small number of sales outlets. And now all of a sudden, we've moved to a place which has been driven, as you said, by that consumer fragmentation, the explosion of different choices people have for viewing outside of the traditional broadcast channels. Um, And that means that trading has had to change very quickly. And and I think quickly is a relative word. In TV trading terms, it's moving very quickly. Compared to how consumers have been viewing television and how quickly they've changed, it's not moving quickly enough. And so one of the interesting, exciting things about this industry is we've still got a long way to go in rebalancing the uh, proportion of spend that goes against maybe some of the older habits that are dying out in terms of broadcast TV versus the newer ways of watching TV and the newer destinations for eyeballs, um, that that share of spend is still completely out of whack. It is in the US, which started all of this first, and it definitely is in the UK. So I think that uh, there's actually some very interesting recent news obviously it's happening with the uh the disney uh news the netflix zander uh news that came out last week mm-hmm. uh, in terms of how uh, people are thinking about tv trading and one of the uh points there is it wasn't simply about we've picked this sales house to represent our our inventory in in each of those instances it was actually about talking about the technology platforms that are going to enable let's call it electronic trading, maybe not fully programmatic as people would think, because I doubt much of this inventory is going to be go down to real-time bidding, etc. There'll be lots of guaranteed and 
and kind of upfront uh, programmatically enabled, but still upfront trading that goes on through these platforms. But it was about platforms and technology. It wasn't about ad sales houses. And I think that's a really interesting manifestation of of the, the change that you've seen over the last 10, 20 years in terms of where the balance of power lies in, in television. So would you say it's the, the consumer themselves won't see a massive change in, in terms of the ad, advert that they're seeing, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago to now, but the mechanics behind it has changed a lot since 10, 15 years ago. Is that safe to say? I think, I think a lot of that's true. I think as a consumer viewing experience, there'll still be the a set of, uh, you know, an ad pod of 30 second ads that run in the middle of content that you've chosen to watch. And so from that perspective, people say, so so what's changed? And mm-hmm. what they won't understand is that actually the way those ads was delivered, uh, the chance of them seeing, despite the fact they're watching exactly the same thing, the chance of them seeing the ad that is their neighbours watching is very, very slim. Uh, and it's slim because, uh, and, and actually in the UK, DAI, digital, uh, sorry, dynamic ad insertion, um, has been around for uh, seven, eight years now. Sky brought that in with, with AdSmart, but it was only on a limited number of households and it you had to be on the right type of Skybox and it had to be for the right advertisers who were the, had adopted that. Increasingly now with connected television across all of the platforms that are out there, that ability to deliver targeted ads to pet owners, to people in market for a specific type of car, to a uh, different financial classification of consumer, um, to first-party viewing database segmentations is now rife and is is the way that advertisers are going to get delivered in future. Now, does the person who's watching that on the screen understand why they're seeing that ad for uh, for Land Rover or why they're seeing that ad for cat food um, versus any of the others? Probably not. I don't think consumers think nearly as much about advertising as probably most of the people listening to this podcast do. But those changes are fundamental in the ecosystem. And if we hark all the way back to your point at the very start of this about the interest in that measurement and effectiveness point, I genuinely believe all of these changes are going to make an already amazingly effective medium even better. And it's going to allow TV advertising to to take more of the share of total advertising budget away from uh, some of the walled gardens where spend has been accumulating over the last decade or so, because that data can now be delivered in a a format and, and against creatives that do a lot more than you can ever do with a search creative or a, a display banner on a website. So just on that point then, would you see your competitors as not only those that provide similar uh, products to yourselves in terms of advertising products, but also your socials, your searches, any any type of digital advertising? Do you think uh, everyone is your competitor in that space? I think that, I mean, at some level for advertising budgets, I think there is always a competitive nature to these things ultimately brands have got so much money to invest in advertising they're going to spend it somewhere and you can't spend that same dollar peso pound uh, in two places i think the the clever the clever next step for media and roku's part of a uh, a number of organizations kind of piecing this together but you'll see it in some of the partnerships that that we talk about is is how we work together how particularly how people who are dominant in different screens uh, work together. So how does Roku, uh, increasingly dominant on TV screen, work with a player who might be uh, uh, very influential within social media, the TikToks, etc. of the world? How do print uh, brands then work across more interactive media that could actually take some of that amazing 
content uh, insights that they have generated. They just happen to deliver it in print, but put it into a more interactive media to develop a, an amazing consumer experience. And so, yes, there's lots of competition going on. And I, I think that's only going to increase uh, for ad budgets now, especially as the uh, maybe the advertising cycle uh, flattens off uh, for a bit, even which is strange for us to be talking about that in a in a World Cup year, but the economic indicators out there right now aren't uh, aren't amazing. But how do the, uh, the the best placed companies, I think, are going to be the ones who compete where it's right for them to do so, but then partner um, for brands to develop, you know, genuinely compelling, immersive experiences, three hundred and sixty experiences, things that uh, cover the biggest part of that awareness, consideration, intent, action uh, part of the funnel uh, for the brands that they're working with. Definitely. Um, and then where, did, where, in your opinion, does programmatic come within this? Is programmatic here for, for TV? Is it, is, it, is it in its infancy? It'd be great to understand your perspective. I think, it, I think programmatic is here to stay across everything. If you talk to my counterparts in out of home, they'd be talking about being digital out of home. Um, if you looked at audio, uh, likewise. And so programmatic trading the, the essentially it's just more efficient and allows more data variables to be put into play which in turn makes advertising more effective uh, it means you can charge more for it there's there's a lot more uh, rationale for programmatic versus the, the old school method of trading um, it opens up some new capabilities in terms of real time versus more upfront and prearranged deals but both of them can be facilitated by programmatic tech to your question of television, it's definitely here for television. It is early days. Um, I think you're you're seeing. Uh, I, I mean, I've been part of that journey and that evolution for Roku with the acquisition of DataZoo back in 2019. Mm-hmm. You're just seeing uh, this partnership of Netflix and Zander um, as probably the first of of a number of partnerships of where this inventory is going to be accessible for programmatic trading. Um, in the UK, uh, if you're looking at one of the early movers on this, um, ITV, I've been putting a lot of stock in Planet V, uh, their programmatic trading platform. And that's from uh, one of the market leaders in terms of the total kind of five billion or so pounds worth of television ad spend. Uh, they are all in on programmatic enablement uh, of that spend. So I think it's undeniable to say programmatic is definitely here. It's got a long way to go. There's lots more things we can all do with it. Uh, there's a lot of developments that need to be made, not just in terms of the way trading actually works, but also in all of those supporting functions, like the data that comes out for planning purposes, for measurement, um, especially around trading and just reconciliation for for actual pounds and pence invoices between agencies and broadcasters at the end of a at the end of a month. So there's there's a huge uh, journey still to go, but it is absolutely here to stay. And then in that sense, then has Roku invested a lot in terms of personnel, in terms of um, the back end programmatic operations, as well as um, you know at the front with the, with the sales teams and onboarding and training, or even hiring people with more programmatic experience. Is that have you seen that develop as well over the last couple of years? We really have. I think one of the things I talked about earlier is building that operating system that's built for streaming, and we literally have hundreds of engineers who are focused on on a, on a connected TV specific software set, part of which is around the delivery of advertising and linking it therefore to trading and all of the uh, necessary ad operations disciplines um, that helps deliver an amazing uh, user experience. So things like the ad pods, things like frequency capping, things like uh, brand clash, things like making sure yield management uh, works very well. 
Uh, so it, it's incredibly hard to do. Uh, this is, uh, and this I think is one of the reasons why we feel very strongly that the licensed operating system model will work for the vast majority of TV manufacturers in due course. So Roku is investing very, very heavily uh, in all of that. Um, we talked about some of the new ad formats and every one of those new ad formats needs that investment, uh, QA testing to make sure it continues to deliver an amazing uh, user experience. Um, and then it does require the commercial chops to be able to go do that. So I'm leading a, a team. Our team right now is based in the advertising markets that we've launched in. Canada, uh, the UK, uh, and Mexico is our latest launch market. More will come, but it, it's one of those things where it, it's part of a process. Once we've built an audience, once we've built our content partnerships and, and therefore the streaming hours and the time invested watching the screen from consumers, then we can build our ad business. The investment in technology has been made. So now it's really about scaling in markets where there is a uh, viable, sizable, connected television ad market to be uh, to be one. And then it'd, it'd be interesting to understand who are those set, your sales teams going out and speaking to, because um, I worked in the audio space, in the programmatic audio space about six, yes. seven years ago, and it was really early doors then. So you'd speak yep. to, you know, you wouldn't speak to radio teams necessarily. You'd speak to trading desks or uh, the digital teams, even video teams, because you're selling a video product. So yeah, it'd be, it'd be great yep. to understand who your who your team are speaking to to get those get those budgets in. Yeah, it's a it's a perennial. What comes first, the TV teams or the digital teams? Who who should own? connected television and actually this is a, a probably a, a subject for a, a separate uh, ad tech heroes podcast will be with with an agency leader to kind of talk through the mm. the thinking because uh, lots of them are approaching it differently and in some places uh, silos exist in some places teams are integrating in some places the barrier has gone completely so it's a real range across the agencies that we work with some of the brands that we work with have actually decided already that actually connected TV and some of the more programmatically traded uh, media types they work with are the areas where they are going to bring some things in-house. Now, we, we typically work with agencies. The, there's brand activity as well. We typically work with agencies. The uh, and, and if we look at the evolution of the market in, uh, in each of the UK, the US, uh, Canada, we've typically started with digital buyers. Um, they've been the early adopters of the digitally enabled connected TV inventory uh, that's been out there. If you have a look at the US, this year we were involved in a very successful TV upfronts and that budget is is generally coming uh, not only from the digital side but huge amounts now from TV buyers who are, have understood uh, especially the nature of cord cutting in the States, what that means for reach curves and, and therefore their requirement to engage with services that will augment their ability to hit broad reach um, requirements of their clients. So we will say it, it, it spans a whole spectrum, but typically it starts digitally. And that's when we go out into market, those are the first places we go, the, uh, the digital natives, the trading desks, um, the places who are already heavily into digital video, uh, and typically we work up from there. Perfect. Um, you mentioned um, not so long ago uh, a lot of the the measurement in the past was panel based, right? So for for TV, um, how is yes. it how is it now with the you know with the life of connected TV and programmatic and having possibly access to additional data points? Um, yeah, how how is that looking now, and and how effective has it been? 
the, the, the interesting part, the exciting part about the, the future of measurement is that we have the opportunity to do something that didn't exist in the early days of TV. Arguably wasn't required, but certainly didn't exist, which is use this vast amount of data that comes back from viewers on a wide, wildly disparate set of content that they're now viewing. Um, if the, the, the panel measurement uh, of old, uh, one of the brilliant things it did was boil everything down to a person level, a person that you could uh, attribute demographics to, you could attribute behaviours to, and you can understand how representative that person is of the rest of the UK population or the US population, wherever it might be. The, uh, the data assets that now uh, are able to be passed back, uh, firstly through set-top boxes, increasingly over the internet, um, around streaming time, duration, the specific channel that's being watched and the content consumed, means that we've got a lot more that we can do with measurement. It's not simply about measuring how many people watch my program and then needing to try and convert GRPs or uh, gross rating points back into some version of business value. You can still do that and arguably reach and frequency are still very, very important measures uh, for a number of different campaign objectives. But what you can also start to do now is tie data around viewers back to whether or not people bought things. Uh, you can tie uh, viewing back to very specific people who have been exposed to specific ads and understand whether or not that made any difference to their to their attitude towards the brand, their awareness of the brand, their intent to purchase or consider that brand in future. So actually the, the new measurement landscape is far broader than the old TV landscape uh, ever was uh, for measurement. But what you do need to now accept is that it's also not as simple. There's not one uh, vendor who does that in the UK. We used to have Barb. But if you now want to get the, the impact of uh, all of your, the value of all of your television, you now need to be looking at Barb. You need to be uh, able to uh, work with Cantar Millwood Brown or a, an associated vendor around understanding uh, uplift in sentiment. You would be uh, likely working with a data clean room in order to match your viewing data, let's say, against uh, commerce data from in-store or, or website uh, conversions. And you're probably going to need to be working with people who can help you interpret uh, all of that. So organisations like uh, like RSMB, uh, for example, in the UK, or uh, the big project, uh, WFA-led project that ISBA working on, Project Origin, which is really trying to tie together television as part of uh, cross-channel uh, media measurement and, and help marketers really understand how their budget should be allocated. All of these are typically newer skill sets uh, for people, both in data and in measurement, that we're all getting our heads around and developing uh, and looking to do so in a way that continues to put the marketer and that marketing budget at the very uh, pinnacle of it. We can't have this run by publishers for publishers. We can't have it run uh, by the agencies. It's got to be for the brands, by the brands, with everybody acting as trusted partners uh, in there and uh, appreciating everybody else's skill set. Uh, in being able to put it all together and and our brands asking for a lot more information now post campaign as they might have done before you know tv was digitalized and and they could get obviously access to this types of data is is, is that coming from the brand now those requests often often it is um i will say that the agency uh, partners are also a lot more demanding because they can be and they should be they understand very well uh, the agencies have you know, got huge depths of digital talent within them. They understand the types of data that is available and they want to be able to see that to help make the better decisions on behalf of the brands they work with. So with, uh, with every opportunity 
that the uh, that comes from new tech from new data streams also comes a higher bar uh, from the people uh, who are spending the money but ultimately they pay the bills and they should be asking the tough questions this is going to be what continues to drive marketing forward and I think without that uh, we wouldn't see the next generation whatever it is of the Bennett and Field studies we wouldn't see the next effectiveness work we wouldn't be able to tell just how far television can go in terms of driving performance as well as branding so um, we are being asked for a lot more we are being asked a lot more hard questions but it's it's all good and and do you have any examples of um, if you're not you know obviously if you can't mention any names that's fine any specific verticals where you've seen success stories for Roku and running advertising with yourselves I think there's there's a number I mean for, for us the the media and entertainment vertical uh, is is a huge uh, part of what we do it, it it's where a lot of our content distribution partnerships start so the likes of the Disney's and the Apple TV uh, plus Amazon Prime uh, all of those uh, plus services that they launch Roku's been a uh, a great partner for many of those brands in acquiring new users and also being able to then drive engagement to their content once uh, once people have already signed up on the platform um, and I think one of the uh, the big things that we also uh, looked at doing, you, you mentioned about the, the difference in ad units, uh, the start and the way that different ad units could perform together. A couple of years ago, we worked with the IPG uh, Magna uh, group and looked specifically at the interplay between different ad units and how video and display work together. And when brands did partner to uh, to do display, to maybe uh, sponsor a, a movie night, to give something to consumers that would have been paid is now free. Um, what that actually did for them, we found a, a 4x multiplier um, between the value from video and the v- value of dropping these experiences uh, on top of it. So I say one of the biggest uh, one of the biggest shifts that consumers have seen on TV has been the difference of what happens when they turn a TV on in let's call it the old days. Mm. Um, uh, we, if you went back to sort of Sky 2006, uh, a sort of a blue and yellow electronic program guide popped up. And occasionally people even made it down to screen two uh, of that. But but most viewing happened somewhere in that 101 to kind of 110 channel range because of the way the program guide worked. Now we're in a whole different ballgame with the, uh, the home pages of Roku looking very different to Samsung, which will look different again to, to Amazon uh, and Android UIs. And so... Uh, for content players, this discoverability is a huge part of of how they now need to work. Uh, how does Netflix get you engaged on the next series after uh, after you've maybe just finished Ozark? Um, how does STV let you know in a world where they've got nothing like the programming budget that an Amazon Prime does about its great new series because it knows you're uh, the type of person who uh, has a long history of watching this type of genre. And so for us, probably media and entertainment is one of the, the, the hottest uh, areas and, and really is uh, not only uh, helping Roku grow ad revenue, but really solving a, a consumer problem uh, in terms of discoverability. Amazing. Um, and, and do you feel, just kind of, I suppose it's really opinion I'm after here, do you, do you feel the consumer wants the choice? So uh, like you said, you know, earlier this week, we, we know Xander and Microsoft are gonna, going to help uh, 
uh, Netflix in terms of their um, ad-supported subscriptions. And um, we know Spotify have had their freemium model for a very, very long time. I think they had it even before their paid yes. paid side of things. So do you think that's the way the future's going? So to giving giving and giving that choice to the consumer? And do you see a lot more of these platforms um, moving towards ad-supported uh, content as well? We, we do. We, we think there's a, a huge place for AVOD in the overall media mix. Um, there's still, don't get me wrong, there's still a strong appetite for SVOD, even with uh, uh, the amount of kind of cancellations that we're seeing at a point in time. Um, it'd be a brave person to bet against those consumers coming back again to those services yeah. when the economic circumstances change. Um, and those organisations invest a huge amount in content uh, like an eye-watering production budgets over the last few years uh, that are making genuinely amazing series. But I think the the revenue that is on offer from these hybrid models and having advertising as part of it is even greater in most instances than subscription alone. So we would expect uh, more of those opportunities for ads to appear in places they haven't been able to beforehand to, to be on the table. And it's really about how and when those companies do it. I think there's uh, it'll be interesting then to see the, the analysis of what the average subscription uh, household numbers do. Right now in the UK, the average household has got a little over two um, SVOD uh, services. There are uh, some with as many as eight or nine, um, but two seems to be uh, the core and, and Netflix is typically uh, one of those. Uh, when we move into a hybrid uh, state where the uh, the ad supported tier is here it'll be really interesting to see how that works but i see more of those services going that way than less definitely and i think people will just consumers will just pick and choose right they'll um you know maybe trial out an experience and going free for a few months if they don't like it they know they can always switch back right T- totally and i mean so the interesting thing and this is why we started with the roku channel it's a totally free uh, service free is a great price for consumers you're literally not making them make a purchase decision um, and if you can get the economics right about that it's a it's a fantastic value exchange uh, with consumers the the interesting part will be uh, what happens when the price there is a price it's just lower when your netflix 10 pounds turns into a netflix six pounds or a five or whatever the price they charge that how much does that actually work what does the advertising offset and would it have made a difference if that price had been eight or two um there'll be far cleverer people than me in those organizations looking at uh, this type of thing and trying to work out what what the optimal pricing strategy in a new kind of hybrid world looks like. Definitely. Um, so I've got one, one final question for you in, t- in today's episode. Um, if you had a superpower in ad tech, what would it be? Oh, superpower in ad tech. Uh, okay. Uh, if, if I had a superpower in ad tech, I think it would be the ability to make the complex simple. Um, I have a huge admiration for people in our industry who can take things that you could turn into a hundred slide versions with lots of different graphics and literally you need a PhD to try and understand it. And they can uh, they can create a story or a narrative that uh, allows everybody in the room to be completely comfortable with what just happened. And it uh, it is a skill uh, and it is definitely one that I aspire to. Amazing. Great answer. Um, so thanks Mike that's all we've got time for in today's episode uh, thank you for your time you've been uh, been great and great speaking to you much for having me cheers Dal thank you thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed this episode of Ad Tech Heroes if you enjoyed the show please leave us a five star review to see all the show notes and resources mentioned in this episode 
head over to adtechheroespodcast.com. This episode is brought to you by SeedTag, the world's leading contextual advertising company. Contextual intelligence allows you to engage with consumers within their universe of interest on a cookie-free basis. By delivering ads into content, we capture users' attention faster and retain it longer. Learn more and reach out to us at seedtag.com.